as we mentioned before, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and it's um, always the case where uh, we remember this day on this Sunday that back to back is this day and also the remembrance of Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day. And so uh, obviously that's tomorrow. Uh, it's more than just a, a school holiday, right? Um, it's a big day. It's a big day. And so as, as we think about both this day and also tomorrow, what tomorrow signifies, um, it, it causes us to remember Um, I think the staggering uh, and very offensive and also related sins of racism and abortion. Uh, Racism, we've seen the carnage that comes with it, uh, even still in our day, even to the the most uh, recent of stories uh, with the sorority, uh, two girls up in Oklahoma, we see it present in our day and, and still see the ugliness of it. We see it with abortion, with uh, over 50 million babies being killed in America since uh, 1973, the uh, landmark case of Roe v. Wade. Um, and still even where the most recent reports show us that uh, just under a million, some 80, uh, 885,000 abortions back in 2016 uh, within our borders in the United States. And so we see it throughout the world as well with rising abortion rates uh, in, in Europe and especially in Britain. Uh, we see it in our nation, even though the uh, rates are going down, uh, it's still a presence, um, both racism and abortion, staggering and offensive because of the scope and the depth of their assault on the image of God. They're related because they both put the human self as central and sovereign. And the voice of racism says this, that my race is more valuable than your race, therefore I have rights to treat you as inferior or undesirable. The voice of abortion says, if I want my baby, my baby is a person. And if I don't want my baby, it's not a person. If I want her, it's illegal to kill her. If I don't want her, it's legal to kill her. Therefore, the personhood of my baby and her right to be protected under law are defined by my sovereign choice or desire. And so the might of my will is the right to kill. And so racism and abortion are both staggering and offensive, but they're also related. They're related sins that put humans in the center with all the control, and this is greatly offensive to God. It's also greatly offensive to the human life he has created in all of us, to bear his image in the womb and also with great diversity of race and ethnicity, ethnicity in our world. And so today, as we have, and we'll continue for 15 years now, we'll blow the trumpet for the unborn, but we also will next week take time in this very service to address the call as a church for racial harmony, to address the issue of racism in our world. And so in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr., now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children, whether in the womb or whether red, yellow, brown, black, or white. And so the church must be the voice, must be the voice of loving truth in the world when it comes to both. We must be. And so today, as we look to this issue of abortion, I want us to turn to Psalm 106 as Kevin read And I want us to see a few points here today as we walk through this text, not verse by verse, but with the verses that he read, I want us to see 
the staggering and offensive sin that has been present in our world for thousands of years and how God views it, how biblically we need to view it, and what that might look like for us. The first thing we see is Psalm 106, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so we see the goal of our life here. Uh, this psalm writer is writing this song out uh, to be sung among the congregation. And they sing together, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his everlasting, his uh, uh, loving kindness is everlasting. And so this is the goal of his life, the heartbeat, the desire, the passion of his life. And it's to be the goal of our life as well, to live for the praise and for the glory of God, our Creator. And he says we're to do so with what? A thankful heart. And so this isn't just merely lip service that we're to give to God uh, once a week in a Sunday service with a few songs or maybe a little prayer, but this is about a life, a life that comes from a grateful heart that we thank God for what? His goodness and his loving kindness that is everlasting. And then in Psalm 106, verse 48, as he closes out this song, I want you to hear how he ends it. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. This is the goal of our life from the beginning to the end. It's why God created us from the moment of conception that our life would praise him from the womb to our very last breath and through eternity that we would live for his glory. And so he sings this song, he writes out this great, beautiful piece of music that is more than just words, it's what he believes, it's what he feels, it's what he's excited about, and therefore, it's what he lives about. And so look what he says in verse 2 and 3, he answers the question, how do we bring, uh, how do we bring such praise to God? And so he, ans- he, qu- he gives a question, then he gives an answer, he says, who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord, or who can show forth all his praise? He says, how blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. And so the question is, who shows God such praise in their life? How how can we give such praise? How do we honor him for who he is? And so he answers it by saying, by keeping justice, by practicing righteousness. That's the answer. That's the answer. It's not just showing up on a Sunday, not just putting a buck in the offering plate and singing some songs and Man, checking it off that we did this this week. No, it's living a life that keeps justice, that practices righteousness at all times. And he says, how blessed are those who do that. Meaning, you want to know happiness? You want to know joy? Do these two things. Do these two things. Isn't it amazing that when our joy is to its max, right, God is most glorified? Isn't that amazing? And that's what he's saying here. You live a life full of justice and righteousness unto the glory of God, you will experience joy and at the same time honor your creator. He says, that's our goal. Then he pauses and he prays in the midst of this song. And look what he says here. In verse four and five, he's thinking not only personal, but he's thinking also national in this remembrance. He says, remember me, O Lord, verse four, In your favor toward your people, visit me with your salvation. 
that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So what does he do here? The psalmist calls on the Lord to look on him, but also to look on the nation of Israel with grace, with favor, to bring deliverance, salvation. And so what is this? It's a prayer. It's a prayer for change. It's a prayer for transformation, both personally, but also nationally. Why? Why is he praying this? Look at verse six, and we get to the the reason. We both see the personal and national sins. In verse six, we have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. See, the psalmist recognizes that he's a sinner. The Bible calls us that. All have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, outside of God. That is our identity. We're people who struggle with sin. He did. He admits it. And he recognizes here not only his sin, but his nation's sin, the sin of Israel. They have been unfaithful to God. They've been wicked. This is both true of his generation as it is true of the generation before him. And so the psalmist is going to take a moment in this song, and he is going to make it a song of confession. As he remembers sins and wicked acts that the nation committed from the time of Moses to when they entered the land of Canaan until they were exiled to Assyria, to Babylon, he is going to make a brief list of their wicked acts. That's interesting. I want us to think about He's doing this, though, as he begins with a thankful heart. And what is he thankful for as he's praising God? For his goodness, his loving kindness, really his unending mercy. And so as the psalmist recounts, he does so in a very interesting progression. In verse 7, he begins with the sins. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go from uh, some specific verses and give you kind of a list of what he lists out without reading the whole thing because there's a lot. And so if you would, just have your Bible open. Uh, as I mention the verse, you can be looking at it, and I'm just going to give a, a summation of what he says here. But I want you to see something interesting. There is a progression, and it's a downward spiral, and it worsens with every wicked act. And I want you to find out that where it ends speaks to where we are today. And I think it's telling. And so look what he does here. And as he recounts these, um, he does so with less serious acts of wickedness to more serious ones, though all are offensive to God no matter the degree. But look what he begins with in verse 7. It says that Israel rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So here he, he just mentions that they are rebellious. And then look at verse 14. They had this unrestrained cravings or these unrestrained lusts, which included violence and even sexual immorality in the wilderness. And what did they do? They put God to the test. They disobeyed him. Verse 16, they were jealous of Moses and Aaron. They had envious hearts. Verse 19, they made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a metal image. In verse 24, they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise of God's word to them. In verse 28, they joined themselves together with Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. And then verse 
32 and 33, they angered God at the waters of Meribah and made Moses' spirit bitter because they were rebellious against God. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples as God had told them to, but mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. You see, they were to be holy. They're God's chosen people. And they were to be set apart for the purposes of God and to be witnesses to the nations instead. They mingled with the nations and joined in and worshiping their gods. And then in verse 36, they served their idols. And so we see this progression, and then look at verse 37. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. And then the psalmist stops listing because he's at the bottom of the barrel. The worst of the worst. They killed their children. The list begins with rebellion. It includes jealousy. It includes idolatry and ends with the sacrificing of their own kids. But the list probably could have gone on and on. But what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, this is where we have reached the bottom as a nation. It's the worst of worse. It's the dethroning of God who is worthy of all praise. It's the dehumanizing of man with how they treated their own flesh and blood. Verse 37, 38, and 39, they've even sacrificed their sons, their daughters, to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons, their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Instead of sacrificing sheep and oxen as God had directed, they got mixed up with the practices of evil nations and poured out the innocent blood of their own children, pouring the blood over the altars of foreign false gods. And we may read this and we may think, how could they do something like that? That's horrible. Taking innocent children, not deserving of death, And pouring their blood on the altars of false gods. How could you do that? Here's God's nation. He gave them his word in Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. So they took the lives of their kids. Sacrificing, the psalmist says, them to demons and idols. So what do we know about demons and idols? They oppose God, we know that. Paul helps us out a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20, Paul says this. He says, what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? He said, no. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. And so what was the issue back in the psalm this day? And what was Paul meaning? And what does that mean for us, this talk of sacrificing to demons or being shares with demons? What, what does this mean, and, and what's the purpose of using this idea of sacrificing, even in our day? And so, so here's what I think this means. It means for us that whatever system the world comes up with to oppose God and go against his word, and whatever draws people away to seek their own happiness— by making sacrifices to that system. When you do that, that is sacrificing to demons. 
It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's sacrificing to idols. And, and, and we might say in here, what? What? Wait, 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 what? What are, you, what are you talking about? You see, what the enemy does is he loves to deceive us, right? Into thinking, oh, you're not really doing that. You're not really doing that. This is, this is the best, right? No, we, we are guilty of this in so many ways. We all are, I am. But we see it definitely when it comes to abortion. Because an unplanned pregnancy and a child gets in the way. In 2004, the Guttmacher Institute surveyed post-abortive women. um, And under just a thousand of them gave a main reason for abortion. And and I list this because I, I want you to see the thinking, and we all in different areas can struggle with thinking like this, but specifically in the area of abortion and, and why women do this and, and what that could mean for us as, as a ministry and how we can pray. But I want you to hear just the thinking because I think it also addresses the world of politics as well. It, it's amazing how this conversation of, of abortion, where is it usually held out, Right? in politics, um, and on billboards. I mean, even in Iowa right now, there's this big billboard campaign where Planned Parenthood is, is pinned billboard up after one after another. Um, but I pray that we know that where should it be talked about? Where, where, where should the truth in love be spoken and promoted? It should be in the church, and so we've got to address these things, and we've got to speak about it so the next generation coming behind us, the middle school, high school, and college students in here today, that you know how to address this from a biblical perspective, and not to be silent on it, or not to be swayed or informed that the pro-choice view is okay and right. And so what does this system look like? Well, here is reasons uh, of why women chose abortion. Here's what I want you to hear as well, is, man, I, I feel for these that go through this. I mean, just like Jennifer was, was sharing, man, my heart just breaks. My heart breaks. And to where, I mean, this is real life, and, and they're dealing with struggles, they're dealing with choices, and, and so here are some of the reasons why they choose abortion is, is the first I mean, I want you, and I'm going to give you percentages because I want you to see the reality of this is, is less than 0.5% are victims of rape, okay? Less than 0.5%. 3% have fetal health problems. 4% had physical health problems. 4% would interfere with, uh, a baby would interfere with education or career. And so there's that pursuit. They're pursuing after this, so, so it interferes with what I want to do. 7% not mature enough to raise a child. 8% don't want to be a single mom. 19% are done with having kids, so they're older, okay? 19%. We don't always think about that, but that's a reality of the numbers. 23% can't afford a baby. And so, so I, I share that because that one stuck out to me. I thought, wow, because that's part of our story and part of my youngest daughter's story is her birth mom, and I'm so thankful for her. Um, 
found herself at a position where she was parenting twins. She uh, had an unplanned pregnancy, and she couldn't afford um, another child. And so she found herself in this position of, what, what do I do? And I'm so thankful, so thankful that the birth mother of, of my fourth child um, chose life and didn't let um, the idea of not being able to afford a baby stand in the way, but, but said, hey, listen, I, I want to place my child for adoption and have a different parenting plan for her, and that's what she did. And, and as, a, as a blessing of that, my wife and I got to be her, her parents forever. And today we have an awesome relationship with her birth mother, who now parents four, is a believer, uh, married, and loves the Lord. And so that's, yeah. So, so I shared that because, okay, so there's these issues. 23% can't afford a baby. So why, why is it significant that the church knows and even talks about this? It's because we're to be promoters of life, justice, and righteousness. And we just don't talk about it and sing about it, but we do something. We do something. And so I was going to save this for later, but that, that could mean that, hey, we step and say, hey, I, I want to be a part of the answer for these ladies in tough decisions. And I want to adopt. I want, I want to be involved in foster care. Be part of the answer. Do something. Do something. Practice righteousness. Practice justice. 23% or excuse me, 25% not ready for a child, okay? So the system, the system with all the choices here is, is it's getting in the way, but, but we as the church can come along and say, okay, listen, let us help. Let us be part of the solution. But the scripture has, says behind the system is what is, is demons, and their goal is defaming of God, the destruction of his people. And so the psalmist says right here, these that took the lives of these kids, their own kids, what did they, they played the role of a whore or a harlot or a prostitute. And so what does that mean? He's basically saying, okay, the nation of Israel is God's bride and, and God is, is their husband. And when they committed idolatry, they were committing adultery. And he says, even worse, when they go to this level, it's prostitution. It's the worst of worse. It's ugly. They cheat on God and they give their heart to another, a demon. The devil. Jesus said about the devil that in John 8, he's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so our world has bought the lie of the enemy, rebelling against God and his word. And what do they do? They pursue their own happiness. And if anything gets in the way, including a baby or an unplanned pregnancy, they will, in the name of reproductive freedom, take out the weakest person of the world, and that's the child in the womb. But what's great about this text is in the midst of such sin, in the midst of such wickedness, I want you to see this. I want you to see that God's unending mercy is available. It's available. Throughout this text, woven through it, threaded through it, the psalmist started with 
praising God for his loving kindness, his unending mercy that is forever. And then in verse 8 and verse 10, verse 23, verse 30, he says, uh, God delivered them, God saved them, God redeemed them. And then in verse 43, I want you to hear this. It says, many times God would deliver them. And then in verse 46, he also made them objects of compassion in the presence of their captors. Because why? Because their sin had held them captive. But God showed them mercy. And so what does that mean? There is mercy for all sinners the one who commits abortion, the one who's indifferent to the practice of millions of abortions since 1973, there is mercy for all. And you might read that and you might go, you look at 37, 38, 39, you may go, how can God show mercy to such evil and wicked acts? The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 25, here's how he did it. He did it in his son. Jesus Christ, God displayed publicly him as a propitiation, meaning an atoning sacrifice, a covering sacrifice for sins. He made Jesus the payment for sins, our sins. He did it in his blood, and he allows that sacrifice to be made available and to to make the payment for our sins through what? He says in faith in verse 25 of Romans 3. This was to demonstrate, to show that his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And so God just doesn't ignore these sins. He just doesn't take them lightly. No, they're offensive to him, very offensive of him. But he forgives them at great cost, and that's the life of his son Jesus. And so by faith, we can receive Christ as the payment for all our sins. Just as Jennifer was sharing about the lady in her office God can forgive, just like the guy out in the parking lot with the pastor. God shows mercy. But he gives our mercy, he gives us mercy for a purpose. I'm gonna close on this thought. He gives us mercy for a purpose. And that's where we begin today. What did the psalmist say? Praise God, praise the Lord. Thank him for his goodness and his loving kindness. Our life is to be about honor to God. But he gives us this mercy to do this. Back in verse three, remember what he said. Blessed are those who keep justice. Blessed are those who practice righteousness at all time. God desires from us a life that submits to him as the sovereign one. That he has ultimate authority over everything. He gives life and so we celebrate. We love and promote life. And we practice justice and righteousness especially when it comes to the unborn. We blow that trumpet. So what does it look like? What does this mean? How can we do that? As those who have seen, uh, experienced, have been shown the mercy of God, even ourselves through Jesus Christ, how do we practice this justice and righteousness? Well, here's how I think we begin. The first thing is be informed and educated. Be informed and educated. Don't be ignorant on this topic. Don't be indifferent to it. I think indifference on things like this um, is very sinful, very sinful. So don't be uninformed. Don't be uneducated. Um, Educate yourself. Talk about it with your kids. Grab a bottle. Have that out in your home on the counter. Speak about it at the dinner table. Talk about these issues. They're real. Again, if you don't inform them wisely and biblically, the world will, right? 
That's your job as parents. That's your responsibility. Uh, websites like this, abort73.com, great right website, great resource uh, that stays up to date on the issue of abortion, uh, pro-choice, pro-life in our day. The second thing is pray. Pray. Pray for real options. Pray this prayer, Matthew 6.10, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a lot of things not right in our world. And we've got to ask God, God, come and make things right. And so pray concerning life and the issue of abortion in our day. The third thing, you heard this already, I want to say it again, volunteer and give to real options. It's the front line in our community. Unplanned pregnancies will always be there. There will always be a need for real options, so let's seek to help them, to serve. Maybe you can give your time. If you can't, maybe your finances. So take a bottle today. I do thank you guys. Your Advent giving uh, helped um, and will help them this year continue uh, their ministry, so thank you for your gifts. It means a whole lot to me. It, it get, I get excited that we get to do that every year. I, I, um, it's amazing. Uh, the fourth and final thing, practicing justice and righteousness. I mentioned it already, but I really do mean this. Consider adoption. Consider foster care. Um, we have families in this church who, have, uh, who are parents who have adopted, parents who have done foster care, um, that if you are ever interested in talking to someone about that, I can direct you to them, um, and they would love to come alongside you. But I think that's a big part of, of blowing the trumpet for the unborn. Um, Abort 73 says this. They said, so long as abortion is kept beyond the realm of moral critique, adoption will continue to be an afterthought. And so why do we talk about the issue of abortion? Is because there's a need for adoption as well. And so I think one addresses the other and helps at least in practicing justice and righteousness. And so maybe as ad adopting is not what the Lord has for you, but instead you want to help others who feel led to do that. Um, we were blessed uh, by others who felt led to do that through our adoption process way back in 2012, and we're so thankful for that. Um, as a church, one of the things that we do is we have an adoption fund set up. We uh, put money into that every Advent season, and that gets used. It, it almost seems to get used uh, on a yearly basis, if not once, twice, or more. Um, this past year, we've been able to help one family with one of their adoption expenses, and how we do that is through Lifesong. Lifesong for Orphans, what they do is they will take, for example, if we give 2000 to Lifesong in name of this family, they will take it and use it as a matching grant for that family so they can use that as a tool to raise um, not only to have that two grand, but to make it four grand when friends, family, and others come alongside and give to that. And so not only we're giving money to help with the work of adoption, but helping even more to increase that on behalf of those who are looking to adopt. Uh, we have one even in the last few days, um, uh, prayerfully, and hopefully they'll get to use uh, that money soon as well that's sitting and waiting for them at Lifesong. So why am I telling you that? Because you give. You give. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that. That is practicing justice. That is practicing righteousness. And I don't want you to be ignorant of that. You are helping with that. And so help by continuing to give. Um, help foster parents. Help adoptive parents in your community, people you know. Because the, the need is not just before, uh, but it's once the children get home. The needs continue. And so be a part of justice and righteousness. And those are practical ways. Um, my prayer today 
is that God would remind us through one, Psalm 106 of his mercy shown toward us. His favor that we do not deserve shown toward us. And that we in response, just like the psalmist does here, is that we would live a life that honors the Lord. And that we would promote justice, that we would promote righteousness and specifically blow the trumpet of life for the unborn. It must be the church. It must be the church. This is not a political subject. (laughs) This is a biblical subject. This is about God. And his people must speak about it, pray about it, and practice the things that promote it. So let's live a life that does that very thing. Let me pray.